Okay, welcome everybody. Uh, welcome to Christian Students on Campus uh, Sunday Worship. We'll be doing this this week and next week, so glad you all made it out. I know it's easy to find since it's right here in the middle of campus. We're going to be uh, looking at the Word this morning, so find your little handout. It's on John 3. It's got a long, complicated theological word that maybe not everyone is familiar with. But uh, let's look at that. Uh, let's read that long word all together if we can pronounce it. Ready, set, go. Regeneration. Okay, regeneration. This morning we're going to be looking at John 3. And John 3 is going to show us a new beginning. A new beginning. So if you've got a pen, uh, if you've got your Bible, open to John 3. Uh, write some things down if uh, you feel the Spirit speaking to you. Because the, the faintest ink is better than the strongest memory. Uh, I think Confucius said that, or a fortune cookie or somewhere. But uh, write your notes down. Uh, as great as this morning is going to be, when you walk away, you're not probably going to remember too much unless you wrote something down. Okay, so college is a new beginning, and uh, you know, Wednesday, UT is starting, and so that means the bewildering task of figuring out the rest of your life is about to be thrust upon you. And uh, you're going to have a lot going on. You're going to have a lot of uh, needs and uh, desires and aspirations. And it's all going to just start coming at you really, really fast. Um, and the danger, is that, um, the danger is that things that are immediate needs and desires crowd our vision. Things, you know, like studying for a, that first test, which is always a curveball. I made a 39 on my first thermodynamics test. Didn't see that one coming. Next test was a 93, though. So, uh, you know, you figure it out after that first uh, doozy, and you figure out what the, the, the professor's going to ask you. Um, so things like studying, meeting new friends, discovering what's on the drag, figuring out how to use Bevo Bucks, who takes Bevo Bucks, all these things are going to start coming at you really fast. And the danger is you just get into tunnel vision mode, and you focused on the urgent, immediate needs, and you lose sight of the big picture. And so it's easy for a lot of people to go through UT focused on the immediate, the urgent. You know, finding where UTC is, finding where Hogg Auditorium is. There was a hilarious video about that a year or two ago. This girl didn't know there was two Hogs on campus. And so the danger is we get in this tunnel vision and we lose sight of the big picture. What are we doing in college? What do we need to learn here that will matter in 10 years? If you're an English major, Probably uh, knowing algebra is not going to matter that too, you know, not matter that much in ten years. But the danger is we all focus on what's right in front of us, and we lose track of what matters, what's going to matter in ten years, and ultimately some people lose track of what's going to matter for eternity. They lose track of what's going to matter for eternity. So we want to see how do we begin UT rightly in view of the biggest picture possible. And Nicodemus in John chapter 3 is going to help us. And that word that you're looking for is regeneration. And we're going to define that in a little bit. But I want to start with a story to kind of frame this whole discussion of John 3. And it takes us all the way down under in Australia, out in the outback, in the center of uh, Australia, there's a, a little city, a little town, uh, I don't know, it's a hamlet, it's an outpost, whatever it is out there, called Alice Springs. It's smack dab in the middle of Australia. So has anyone been to Australia? Just a few people. You probably stayed on the coast. Sydney um, is, you know, a big, big city there, or Melbourne. It's all on the fringes. But we're talking deep in the outback, and the story is, it's a true story. We've got a 10-year-old little boy, little cute little boy, uh, that was Alex right here. Raise your hand, Alex. 
Yeah, the guy who was up here playing guitar. This is Alex's story. He was out there as a 10-year-old at night walking with his dad, probably looking at the stars. If you've never been to the, uh, if you've never been down there, there's a, you know, there's a whole new set of constellations you've never seen before. The Southern Cross, there's no Big Dipper, it's all new. So they're walking out there in the middle of the night, it's dark, and Alex is with his dad, his 10-year-old little boy, and he kind of bumps into something. It feels like he maybe bumped into a little stick or something, or a twig, you know, those prickly bushes or something. And, uh, you know, just kind of felt a little poke and kept going. And he gets home at night, you know, uh, probably some deep conversations with dad out there. And uh, he's, he's uh, like probably all little boys, um, not wanting to take a shower at night before he goes to bed. And his mom's telling him, hey, take a shower, take a shower. And he's like, fine, all right, whatever. And so he's changing to go get in the shower. And you notice on his leg, there's two little marks, two little marks. Almost looks like a mosquito bite or something. Just tiny, tiny, tiny little two, two marks, two bite marks. And he doesn't feel anything. He doesn't think anything of it. And so he's like, ah, it's probably nothing. Just hop in the shower, go to bed. And, uh, but he's kind of thinking, well, maybe I'll just call in, call in dad and uh, see what he thinks. So his dad comes in. And his dad's like, oh, yeah, it's nothing. Definitely, definitely not anything. But hey, just in case... Just in case, let's, let's go to the hospital, just check it out. It's inconvenience, you know, extra trip, but just to be safe. So they get to the hospital, they show the doctor, doctor's like, yeah, it's nothing, uh, don't worry about it. But just to be safe, let's, uh, let's swab it up, you know, just do, do a little swab sample analysis. And uh, they were a little bit on high alert because earlier that week, uh, you know, all the most deadly animals in the world live in Australia. None of them live in New Zealand. It's amazing. They all live in Australia. I've been to both. It's, it's, it's hilarious. They all stayed on Australia. And so they were on high alert because earlier that week, a man had died in his sleep. A man had died in his sleep because he'd been bitten by one of the most poisonous snakes in all of Australia, the western brown snake, one of the most dangerous poisonous snakes in all the world. The only thing is you barely feel their bite. You barely feel their bite. So they're a little bit on high alert. They're like, yeah, but it looks like nothing. They, they go do the swab analysis. They come running back in the door, flying through the doors in just full on. It's like World War III is starting. <laughs> Alex has been bitten by the very same snake, the western brown snake, and he's dying. He's dying. And if you don't get help within a day, you're dead. So thankfully, uh, Alex got the, the anti-venom antidote, and he's here playing guitar this morning. Let's give Alex a round of applause. Okay, so we're, we're framing John 3. Why, why did I tell that story? Why did I tell that story? We're framing John 3 with Alex's story because the most dangerous snake bite is the one you don't know you have. The most dangerous snake bite is the one you do not know you have. And we're going to see with Nicodemus. He's a good guy. He is the best society can produce. He's moral. He's religious. He's diligent. He's humble. We're going to see all of this. He's a Pharisee. He's doing his best to bring in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is going to show him, you're snake bitten and you don't even realize it. And so... Don't let the urgent, immediate needs of campus life and college crowd out this big picture view that we're snake-bitten and we need an antidote. And ultimately, we're going to see our greatest need is we need another life. Okay, so let's um, go ahead and look at your outline here. Let's read this little um, verse at the top, 1 Peter 1.23. Let's read it all together. Ready, set, go. 
Okay, so that's where the word comes from. And let's go ahead and read our concept. Nicodemus had a concept in how he approached the Lord. And a lot of times, this is our concept. This is the prevailing concept on the world today for how to, how to better society, how to improve ourselves, basically how to get into heaven for a lot of people. So what's our concept? More knowledge, more knowledge. More knowledge. And let's read the verse. Ready, set, go. Okay, so circle the word, if you got your pen out, circle the word teacher. We know you have come from God as a teacher. And Nicodemus' approach to Jesus with this one word opens up a window of his concept of what he needed. He comes to Jesus thinking, Jesus, you're a great teacher, one of the greatest teachers. You came from God. And since he's calling Jesus a teacher, what does that indicate he's looking for? Knowledge, more teaching. Okay, now we can glean a little bit about Nicodemus' uh, kind of spiritual resume from the verses here in John 3. So if you look at the verses we just read, he is a man of the Pharisees. The Pharisees. He's a ruler. He's a ruler. He's an authority. He's a Jew. He's orthodox. Later on, it's going to tell us he is an older man. So he has a lot of life experience. And he is a teacher, because later on, I don't have the verse on here, but Jesus says, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? So here's a teacher who's experienced, who's knowledgeable, who's educated. He's coming to a teacher, and what he's looking for is more teaching, and the implication is better teaching. Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about the Pharisees. Does anybody know who the Pharisees are? Just a few people know who the Pharisees are? Yeah. So the Pharisees were the strictest sect, strictest religious sect within Judaism. And uh, in all of Palestine at that time, there was about a, a one and a half million people, two million people, roughly. And Jewish population at that time was 600,000, roughly. 600,000 Jews in Palestine. And of all the 600,000 Jews, how many Pharisees were there? There were 6,000. So 6,000 out of 600,000, what's the percentage? 1% of the Jewish population are Pharisees. This is a very small class. If that was UT, 500,000 people, that's, we're talking 500 people. That's barely bigger than your freshman chemistry class. And, you know, those people in your freshman chemistry class, you're not going to hardly see any of them on campus unless you're in a study group with them. So these Pharisees are a very minority, a small minority. And basically what they want is they want to make the law of Moses practicable. They have constructed a web over all of life that regulates very detailed way, very finely, what exactly mankind is responsible before God to do. And so let me give you an example. In the Law of Moses, in the Ten Commandments, we have keep the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath. What does that mean? Well, it tells us right there in the Ten Commandments, don't do any work. No work allowed on the Sabbath. question is, the Pharisees came to that commandment, and out of their devotion to God, out of their seriousness, out of their zeal, they said, what exactly does that mean when we apply it to all of life? And they came up with 39 categories, not 39 things, 39 categories of applications for what counted as work. So they were very clear what exactly is 
required of us. And so one of those, no work meant, no amalgamating, this is one category, no amalgamating any semi-solid with a liquid to kind of form a paste. And basically what's in view here is you can't make any bread, you can't make dough, you can't combine water and flour and make a dough, so you can't do that. You also can't make bricks out of mortar. Mortar is, you know, you make that paste to make the mortar to make lay bricks. You can't do that. But the Pharisees went way beyond that and applied that to every single detail in life. So no amalgamation, no mortar, no paste. You know what that becomes? No spitting in the dirt. You can spit on a rock, but you can't spit on a dirt because your saliva might mix with the dirt and form a paste, and that's counted as work. So you see kind of almost how comical the Pharisees can become in their application of the law of Moses out of their strict seriousness in being the best people possible to please God and bring in the kingdom. And here's what the Pharisees think. Here's what the Pharisees think. If all those people, if all those other 600,000 Jews would just obey the law as strictly and as faithfully as us, we're talking if the tax collectors, if the prostitutes, even if just the hardworking peasants, they don't have enough time to think about these things, but if they would obey the law like us, the Messiah would come and the kingdom of God would come in. That was their thought. So this is, you see what kind of person Nicodemus is? He is the best product society can, can produce. So he's a Pharisee, he's a ruler, that means he's wise, he's respected, he's capable, he's powerful. He was a Jew, he was religious, he's orthodox, he's of the chosen race. He's a teacher, he's educated, and he's an old man, he's experienced. And so this kind of person... If this kind of person came in, we would, be, we would be amazed by this kind of person. The aura he put off, his zeal, his devotion would put us to shame. Here's another thing I should tell you. The Pharisees had all five books of Moses memorized. Okay, we're about to start our Bible reading schedule up here as a club. I think maybe next week. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. We just did a study on that last year uh, or two. Numbers. Deuteronomy, those are the five books of Moses. Pharisees had all of that memorized. Wow, say wow. Okay, yeah. So talk about devotion to God. You're having trouble reading Leviticus. Nicodemus has Leviticus memorized. Yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable. And so the amazing thing, though, is he is still looking for better teaching. He's looking for better teaching. And Nicodemus is almost, you could say, his paradigm is salvation comes, sorry, UT, salvation comes through education. If we can just get the right knowledge, the best knowledge, the knowledge from God, here's his equation. Better teacher, better knowledge, better self, better world. That's the paradigm Nicodemus is under. If I can just find the best teacher, I can get the best knowledge, I, become, I can become my best self. And if all, do, if all of us do that together, we've got a better world. The kingdom of God comes in. And so it's salvation through education. Salvation through self-improvement. Salvation through self-cultivation. And we're going to see, in context of Nicodemus's condition, on the outside he looks great, but he's snake bit. And we're going to see the ridiculousness of trying to solve a quote-quote moral spiritual problem with knowledge. It just does not work. It's like, it would be like trying to solve world hunger by teaching a nutrition class here at UT. 
We know everything about food, but we're starving. Okay, that's Nicodemus' approach. Does everyone got that? Nicodemus is coming as the best product society can make. He's the intellectual elite. He's high, highly educated. He's in power. He can make decisions. And he's religiously inclined. According to Judaism, the best religion instituted by God. And he's looking for better teaching to become a better person. Okay. So this can play out a number of different ways. Basically, our culture, like I said, has completely subscribed to this mode of thinking. If you go up to the tower, any freshman been up in front of the tower yet? Yeah, you have? Uh, if you're standing at the tower, just to the left of the steps on the wall, did you notice anything? There's a stone plaque there. Once you walk by the tower a few times, you're going to see it. There's, two, there's basically two visible inscriptions on the tower. One's at the top. It's from Jesus in John 8. You shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. Ask somebody in your class. That's not Plato. That's not Aristotle. That's Jesus from John 8. I've asked all sorts of people. You know who said that? I think it was Plato. It's Jesus. <laughs> that's on the top. And it's amazing that's the one that's on the top. I think it's pretty cool. But on the bottom left, as you're looking at the tower, does anybody know what that plaque says? Anyone who's not a freshman? There's a plaque right there. It's right at the base of the steps. It's a huge stone plaque. It's, you know, maybe that big, two feet by two feet or three feet by three feet. It's got inscribed. No one knows what's there? No seniors? Oh, man. What's inscribed there is UT's core purpose. Do you know you get, we got a core purpose? We got a fight song. We got, you know, all that stuff. We got a motto. What starts here changes the world. We got a core purpose at UT. And it's amazing, this core purpose is exactly Nicodemus's concept. No one knows the core purpose of UT. All right, this is day number one, UT 101. <laughs> you know it, bro, CK? Is it like to educate to something and something else? <laughs> wow, very specific. Yeah, you are in the ballpark, yeah. You're in the ballpark. Is UT's core purpose to transform lives for the benefit of society. Okay, I mean, you probably need to know that if you're going to UT. UT's core purpose. What is UT doing here in the world? UT's core purpose, it's amazing. They even use the word transform. To transform lives for the benefit of society. Nicodemus would have signed on the dotted line. As long as it's, you know, kosher twist on that, he would have signed on the dotted line. That's what Nicodemus wants. I want to transform. I want to become a virtuous citizen to bring in the kingdom of God. I want to be better. And to be better, I need to be educated. I need to be taught by the best teacher. Better teacher, better knowledge, better self, kingdom of God, better world. Okay, so you all understand where Nicodemus is coming from? Let's see what Jesus says to this. Okay, Jesus is going to come as basically the great physician here, and he's going to swab Nicodemus right here. This is, the, this is the spirit swab going on, all right? Let's read. What's our need? Ready, set, go. All right, let's read that again. Our need? Our need? Okay, better knowledge or more knowledge versus new life. And now let's read these verses. Ready, set, go. Unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. 
Okay, so circle the word born. Circle the word born if you got your pen. And then draw a line from teaching or teacher to born. Teacher to born. Nicodemus is concept. Jesus is a teacher. And a lot of people have a concept about who Jesus is. But Jesus is showing us our true need. And that is indicated by the word born. So we may think we just need more knowledge, a better education. UT is trying to change the world through education. Jesus is saying we don't need a better education. Although that's great. Get your education, get your degree. But we need a better life. And we're going to see this life here is not just generically a better existence, a better lifestyle, a better standard of living. We need a different life, a life on a different plane, a different quality, category, type of life. This life here is the life of God. And that is going to be the miracle of regeneration. We're about to see in a second. Through regeneration, God gives us actually, literally, his very life. Wow. Okay. So, then double underline the word cannot. I love this. Cannot. Jesus confronts Nicodemus with the impossibility of his approach. Nicodemus is coming for knowledge, and Jesus says, that won't work. I don't care how much of Scripture you have memorized. It doesn't matter. It doesn't count for anything in my eyes. It can't heal the venom. It can't get you into the kingdom of God. I don't care where you're spitting, on dirt or rocks. It counts for nothing in my eyes. I don't care how much you're serving me. You're trying to please me. You're trying to do good for me. So you see how Nicodemus' concept, we may start being enlightened. Uh-oh, this is how I've been living my Christian life. I've been just trying to be a good person and even use Jesus' teachings to be a good person. And the Lord is saying, that approach cannot get you into the kingdom of God. It's an, I'm confronting you with the impossibility of being a good person through re even religious education, self-cultivation. It won't bring in the kingdom of God. This is like a meteor crashing into Nicodemus' world and ending it. Jesus is the media meteor. And he is, he's also the mediator. Jesus is the meteor. Just... You know, I don't know if you've seen, it's like the dinosaurs looking up and you see the meteor, you know, blazing overhead. That's Nicodemus. The, his religious world is crumbling. It, it won't work. It's an impossibility. You cannot get into the kingdom of God through religious knowledge and being a better person. You need something on a whole new plane. And the example here I've got is, it's like, imagine a tree. Anybody like apples? Fuji, Gala, Pink Ladies, definitely not Big Red, you know, just... No, don't make those. Um, you may be a green person. All apples are cultivated. I don't know if you knew that. You cannot go to the woods and find a Fuji apple naturally existing. Did you all know that? There's no Gala apples naturally existing. There's no Fuji. There's no pink ladies. There's not even, you know, as primitive as they are, there's no big juicy reds or whatever they're called. All apple trees are a product of human cultivation. Did you know that? Yeah. Every apple tree you get has 
it does not exist naturally. It's been uh, grafted, it's been genetically, not ge genetically modified how we think of it today, but there's been human work done to graft numerous different species of apples, kinds of apples, eventually producing those kind of apples. So once you go through all the work to produce a Fuji apple tree, you can get Fuji apples. But if you want more Fuji apple trees, you can't plant the Fuji apple seeds. You have to graft in one of those branches into an existing apple tree, then you can cultivate more Fuji apples. This blew me away when I learned that. I was like, wow, I'm never gonna look at apples the same, you know? <laughs> okay, what the example I wanna use though is we are all natural apple trees. And what that means is you are essentially a crab apple. Has anyone had a crab apple? They don't sell them at HEB. We don't eat them because they're bitter, they're sour. They're worth nothing, they're, they're worth nothing. They're, no one wants to eat that. And so that is because of the life, the crab apple life is just producing crab apples. Bitter, sour, worthless fruit. Hate to tell it to you, but that's what you are. Because of the fall, because of sin, because that venom, that snake bite has poisoned us, all we produce is bitter, sour fruit. No matter how much religious education we've attained, it doesn't transform our heart. There's still greed, there's still anxiety, there's still lust, there's still pride, there's still racial tension, there's still nuclear threats, there's still, I mean, you name it, corporate scandals, economic inequality, injustice, none of that has been solved. But we're, we're living in the most educated world that's ever been in existence. It's the information age. And so what we're doing is we're trimming our branches and fertilizing our roots, thinking that's going to produce Fuji apples. No amount of cultivation, trimming, and fertilization can change the fruit we produce. We need another life. And so that's what Jesus, do you all get what Jesus is saying? Knowledge can't do it. Cultivating yourself can't do it. That's only going to produce better crab apples, which are still nasty. You need a new life to come in. And so we're going to see how is that possible. Isn't that awesome? Okay, so this is, the, I love this, the meteor that's just ending Nicodemus's world. And so what the Lord is saying to Nicodemus, see, Nicodemus is thinking, it's all those drug addicts. It's all those prostitutes. It's all those bums. It's all those, you know, lowlifes. It's all the scums of society. They're preventing the kingdom of God from showing up. And the Lord is saying, you are exactly the same in your inner life as all those people you think are scum and low life. You have the exact same life as the drug addicts. You have the exact same life as the prostitutes. You have the exact same life as the bums. All you have is better trimmings. All you've done is cleaned up, cleaned up your branches. But your fruit is still bitter, sour, and we're going to see satanic. Okay, so the Lord is saying, we need a new life. Let's all say that. We need a new life. Okay, so let's read uh, this next here. Regeneration is, and let's just read the three bolds, just right in a row. Just not the verse, just the bold. Okay, regeneration is? A miracle, a Okay, let's read that one more time. Regeneration is? A miracle, a Okay, and let's read the verse under miracle. Ready, set, go. Okay, so you see Nicodemus is exercising his mind to understand how do you be born again? 
He thinks you've got to crawl back up into the womb. And he slaps Jesus with an impossibility. The Lord says to him, cannot, that your, your approach is impossible. You cannot get into the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Nicodemus says, born again? Cannot. That's an impossible. So you see, they're, they're throwing impossibilities at each other. The Lord is saying, you cannot get into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is saying, I cannot be born again. How can you be born again? It's a miracle. It's a miracle. We're not talking about a physical birth. As miraculous as that would be, if you could literally get back in the womb and come out and be reborn with new genes, wouldn't that be a miracle? The Lord is talking about an even more unbelievable miracle that you... He says if you, if you do that, you're still flesh. The nature hasn't changed. You're still a crab apple. No one wants to eat you. You need to be born of the Spirit. And that is the greatest miracle in the universe. The greatest wonder in the entire universe is that human beings can be literally, spiritually begotten of God. That means the life and the nature that is in God can be imparted and create the essence of a new person in every one of us. So that genetically, we are the, quote, quote, genetically, we're the same as God. Isn't that a miracle? This is what we need. This is what we need. This is especially what the intellectual elites, the good people, the moral people, this is what they need. They need to be alerted to our true need for another life. So let me give you the definition of regeneration. You might want to jot this down. Well, let me tell you what regeneration is not. Because some people have uh, some concepts about what regeneration is. Regeneration is not regretting the past. That's good to do. If you have a bad past, you regret it. You know, humanly, that's great. Turn away from that. That's not regeneration. Regeneration is not turning over a new leaf. So high school was one way. You say, hey, college, I'm going to turn over a new leaf, kind of become a new person. It's not regeneration. Regeneration is not promising to change. I've been bad. Lord, now I'm going to be good. How many times have you prayed that? Lord, I'll never do that again. I'll never say that again. I'll never go there again. And we think, if that starts working, oh, I've kind of been regenerated. We, we would probably never use that word. But we'd say, I'm, I'm a new man. I'm a new person. The past is the past. I'm different. No, you're the same. You're just clipping your, your branches. Regeneration is not an emotional moment. So maybe you went through a powerful mo- emotional experience and you think, oh, the tears have washed away, you know, myself, and I'm, I'm new, you know. Tears bring renewal. And a regeneration is not understanding and agreeing with doctrine. So you may understand teachings. Like Nicodemus, you had things memorized. You memorized John 3.16. It's possible to know all of that and still not be regenerated. What is regeneration? Here comes the definition. To be regenerated is to receive the divine, eternal life of God. To be regenerated is to receive the divine, eternal life of God in addition to the natural human life. In addition to the natural human life. That's what it is to be regenerated. To receive the divine, eternal life of God in addition to the natural human life by creation as the new source and element of a new person. As the new source and the new element of of a new person. Okay, I'll read the whole thing. To be regenerated is to receive the divine eternal life of God in addition to the natural human life as the new source and element of a new person. This is the miracle of regeneration. So in John 2, 
The whole reason Nicodemus was attracted to Jesus was because of the miracle Jesus did in John 2. Does anybody remember what that miracle was? Jesus got invited to a wedding. You know, invite Jesus to your wedding. And what happened at the wedding? Yeah, water he turned into wine. Everyone knows that. So that was a miracle. That would be, imagine if you were at a wedding and the water turned into wine. Okay, and John, and, and that's because, and because of that, Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, hey, we saw the signs you did. No one can do these signs unless he's from God. In John 3, Jesus ups the miracle Annie. What's the miracle in John 3? The miracle in John 2 is water turns to wine. The miracle in John 3 is sinners turn into sons of God. John 2, water to wine. John 3, sinners to sons. Actual sons, literal sons, genetic sons with the same life and nature that's in God, not merely adopted sons. Okay? It's a new life. It's awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, let's go to the next one here. Regeneration is a mystery. Let's read this verse all together. Ready, set, go. Okay, so the mystery here is the Lord used the example of the wind. And the wind back, you know, before we had meteorology, is pretty mysterious. You can see it. You can feel it. You can see the, the, the leaves blowing in the trees. It's perceptible, but you don't know where does it come from. What's the source of the wind? It just comes out of nowhere. And where, where does it go? You know, where does it go? So the Lord's using the wind to indicate the mysteriousness not only of the act of regeneration, but the person who is regenerated. See, look, he says, the wind blows where it will, wills. You hear the sound of it. You do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Probably some of y'all read this verse and thought, the wind blows where it wills, it's mysterious, you don't know where it comes from, you don't know where it goes. So is the Spirit who regenerates me. You think the Spirit is the wind in this verse. The Spirit blows where He wills. And the Spirit is a force. This verse the Lord is talking about, He's equating the wind to you if you've been regenerated. And so regeneration is a mystery in its occurrence, but it produces mysteries. So how mysterious are you? How mysterious are you? Not strange, not weird, but we should be different from the people we live with. We should be different from the people in our classes. Everyone's going out to party. We're different. And that should cause people to wonder, what, it, what is it about that person? Maybe you're getting the best grades in your class, and you're not bragging about it. Maybe everyone's talking bad about your teacher, and you're not talking bad about your teacher. You live in a way that causes people to wonder, what is it about this person? This person is mysterious. And so I want to tell you a real quick story. Another guy here on staff, Christian students on campus, Starting center here at UT. Uh, he was a couple years below me. And he was going to be a first-round draft, draft pick for the NFL. Guaranteed he was in, going to be the NFL. He uh, was all, all, you know, all-American football player. And he decided, okay, think, put yourself in those shoes. You go to the NFL, you make a couple million bucks. Of course, you know, get some head injuries probably. But you can make a couple million bucks. And you know what this guy does? He goes to Bible college. He goes to Bible college. Now, how do you think everyone in the football world reacted to that? 
I mean, he was on ESPN. People knew him. People knew he was going to be in the NFL. He decided to go to Bible college. And I happened to be there at the lunch where one of his former teammates who was in the league was telling him, you're making a huge mistake. You're making a huge mistake. Think about how many people have this opportunity and you're blowing it. You're wasting it. And then he came from a Christian, Christian approach. Think about all the ministries you could support with the millions you make. You can be serving God in the NFL. And he kept saying, there's just a disconnect between your head and your heart. And I hate to see you make this mistake. He couldn't understand why somebody would give up the NFL to follow Jesus Christ. Isn't that mysterious? And so if we have been regenerated, we should cause those around us to wonder about us. What is going on with this person? It's so mysterious. That's because we're the wind. They feel our effect, but they don't understand our origin, which is the Spirit of God. Okay, regeneration is a must. Let's read this verse. Ready, set, go. Okay, circle must. You must be born anew. The you here, the second you, do not marvel to you. The first you in Greek is individual, singular. The second you in Greek is plural. So the Texas translation would have said, do not, marvel to you, do not marvel that I said to you, y'all must be born again. <laughs> yeah. It's an effective English uh, device. Plural, plural uh, you. You and you in English is, could be singular and plural. The Lord is saying, you all, everybody, all of humanity is under a universal must, a requirement. And think about it. How many times you go to a city and you think, what's the must see? What's the must do? What's the must, must do in college? What's the must do at UT? Eat at Franklin's, you know, pull an all-nighter, you know, drink, drink the best coffee in the world. We're always thinking, what's the must see, must do? And the Lord slaps us with the universal must that's pasted over all human lives. You all must be born again. Isn't that awesome? We're under this must. It's a must. Regeneration is not just a response to our sinfulness. Regeneration is a design requirement. It was God's intention all along to give us His divine eternal life. It was why we were created. We were born to be reborn. We were born to be reborn. That's why God created you. He didn't create you just to serve Him, just to know about Him. He created you to contain Him and express Him. The very same life in nature. Awesome. Okay, but there's a big problem, and that is we are snake-bitten. So let's go to this next section. We'll finish here in probably five or seven minutes. Okay, let's read the verse under the basis of regeneration is the redemption of Christ. Let's see how this is possible. Let's read verse 14 through 16. Ready, set, go. Okay, so circle the word must. Right there we see it again. To fulfill the must in verse 7, we need the must of verse 14. We are under a must because of our creation by God. God designed us to, to receive and contain His life so we could express Him and live Him. But we're all fallen sinners. We're all snake bit. The problem is like Nicodemus, a lot of us, all of us, we don't know it. We never felt the bite. And so 
The venom of the, sa- of the satanic life is coursing through our veins. We're under God's judgment. We're dying as snake-bitten sinners. And so now there's another must. To be regenerated, we have the must of redemption. God has to come in the flesh and deal with our satanic life on the cross. And the Lord here is referring to a story in Numbers 21 when he says, The serpent was lifted up by Moses in the wilderness, so I must be lifted up. Nicodemus had that memorized. That's in the the Torah. That's in Numbers. So he realized the story there, which was people had rebelled against God. God sent serpents. They bit them. They were dying. The Lord told Moses, all you got to do is create a bronze serpent and lift it up on a pole. And whoever looks on that bronze serpent will live. And the Lord says, that bronze serpent is a type of me. You cannot build a ladder that reaches heaven through your knowledge, your ed- education, your self-cultivation, your attainment. You cannot, it cannot work. I, you're not going to come up. You can't come up, so I'm going to come down. And I'm going to come down and put on, put on the serpent in form. The Lord clothes himself with that very same flesh we have. Only difference is minus the venom. The Lord had no sin nature. But he clothes himself with our fallen flesh and he takes it to the cross. And in the last three hours, the father looks down on the cross and he does not see his beloved son. He sees the serpent. He sees the snake loose in this universe. And because of that substitutional death, the Lord at that moment pours out all of his wrath and consumes the snake. That is redemption. The Lord put on our flesh, took it to the cross, terminated our satanic life, destroyed the devil through his death on the cross, and what he did was he released the divine life. Now all we have to do is look to the lifted up Savior, the bronze serpent on the cross. Look and live. And how do we see that here? Believe into him. We need a look of faith to the Lord as our Savior to heal the snake bite from the fall. Okay? So the last one here is, let's read this, uh, what is the goal of regeneration? Let's read these verses. Ready, set, go. The goal of regeneration. And let's read those verses. Go for it. Okay, circle must. This is our third must. So in John 3, there's three musts. And the end of John chapter 3 kind of throws us off because it shifts a little bit, but this must is connected. So let me just put it together for you. We were created by God to receive His divine life. That was the reason He created us. We became fallen through sin, and we became rebels against God. We were snake-bitten, even though we don't know it. We're trying to improve ourselves through knowledge and self-cultivation. It can't change our life. We can't go up. The Lord can come down, though, and He can be lifted up on the cross to terminate our sinful nature, destroy the devil, release His divine life. Now it's possible, because that must has been fulfilled, it's possible for us to be regenerated. But why do we need to be regenerated? It's not all about us. Ultimately, regeneration is for the producing of the bride of Christ. This is God's eternal purpose. He wants to give us His life, redeem us from the fall, so that we can match Him in life and be joined to Him in a marriage union of unsurpassing love for eternity. 
So ultimately, the Lord is working because he is under a divinely imposed must. I must satisfy my desire to be, quote, quote, married. Yes, to be married to a bride within humanity that's containing my divine life. Isn't that awesome? So let me end with this quote here from Jonathan Edwards. God created the world to provide a spouse and a kingdom for his son. And the setting up of the kingdom of Christ and the spiritual marriage of Christ and the church is what the whole creation labors and travails in pain to bring to pass. This whole world is bringing forth the kingdom of God and the bride of Christ. How is it doing that? Through us receiving the divine life through faith. And that is regeneration. So anyways, that's all I've got. And so uh, let's end here in a prayer. If you have never received Christ as your life, if you've never dealt with the venom, now would be a great time to do that. So let's bow, bow our heads, close our eyes. You can repeat after me. So all together repeat. Dear Lord Jesus, we love you. Lord, thank you for coming down in incarnation. Lord, we couldn't come up to you, so you came to us. Lord, thank you for taking on our fallen nature. Lord, thank you for taking that to the cross and dying. Lord, Lord we believe your death was for us. Lord, your death destroyed our fallen nature. Lord, your death made possible for us to receive your life. Lord, this morning we all look and live. Lord, we believe you and we receive you. Lord, and we praise your precious name. Amen. Okay, so now we're going to go ahead and welcome up uh, our faculty advisor and sponsor, or not advisor, sponsor, uh, brother Dr. Ken Diller. So let's bring him up. He's going to share five minutes and we'll go to lunch.